Thank you so much for the love that you share with one another. What a great sight that is. And what a great opportunity to, uh, to share that love. Uh, let me call to your attention a few announcements this morning. First of all, let me remind everyone of our attendance sheets. They're on each row on the, uh, on the clipboard there. We like to ask if everyone would take that and fill it out as completely as possible and uh, so we could have a record of your attendance with us this morning. Uh, we'd like your email address and your phone number. If you would uh, like to give that to us, we would certainly appreciate it. And uh, some other things that are going on this week, I, as I was looking over the schedule for this week, I almost lost my breath. It was so tiring. Uh, it's a very busy schedule going on this week, uh, but it's always good to be busy in the work of the Lord and, and busy fellowshipping with, with one another. have a number of things going on, uh, so let me call to your attention a few of them. Uh, tomorrow, the women's mission group will be meeting at Beth Vincent's house uh, at 6 o'clock. Did you know that, Danny? Okay, I just want to make sure Danny knew that. Uh, so that will be tomorrow evening at 6 o'clock at the Vincent's house. And on Tuesday, uh, the adults are invited to go to a, a trip to the Sisters of St. Benedict Monastery in Ferdinand. And I know that we, uh, we initially publicized that we would be leaving at um, 9.45, I think, but we were going to be leaving at 9 o'clock. So if you had in your schedule... 9.45, change that to 9 o'clock because we de- determined that we needed a little more time to get there and get, get, uh, uh, get done what we need to get done there. Also, uh, we have a number of upward practices this, this week on Monday and Tuesday and Thursday. And uh, upward is in full swing now with practices and we'll be beginning uh, games in a couple of weeks. Uh, we can still use some volunteers and if you'd like to... Really, a lot of what we need is just people that can be here during the practice and um, answer questions of parents and just kind of uh, to be a good uh, ambassador for Community Baptist Church to the parents that are that are here for upward uh, basketball and cheerleading on Saturday. uh, We will be serving lunch at the Salvation Army. And uh, we still need about four people to, uh, to serve on that. If you would like to serve lunch on Saturday, please see Christine Cornelius. And we're not done yet, folks. Sunday, next Sunday, we'll have a church, our church picnic. Uh, that'll be Sunday afternoon at 4 o'clock. We'll just have it out here at the pavilion. And I think our recreation committee is getting together and making some plans for some games and activities uh, for the church picnic. And so I know you'll want to be a part of that and invite some people to come with you and we'll have a good time. It's just no agenda, just having fun. And that's that's always a good thing. Um, one other thing in your in your worship folder there, you'll see an insert and that is our deacon election ballot. Uh, we are having our deacon elections today and we like to ask everyone who are members of our church to take this this uh, ballot and circle Seven names on the ballot, no more than seven. If you circle more than seven, then the whole ballot gets tossed out. Okay, so up to seven names uh, on the ballot uh, that you would like to see be a deacon uh, for Community Baptist Church in the upcoming year. Uh, So please do that. Uh, You can drop the the, um, ballot in the offering plate when it comes by or if you don't have time to. uh, to circle it before then, you can drop it in the church office after after the worship service. But if you would uh, do that, we would certainly appreciate that. We're grateful that you are here today, and we are grateful to be in the presence of God. 
we are in the presence of God this day, and we are here to worship the Lord our God. So let us let us take time, let us focus on God, and let us be grateful that He is with us. Let us pray. Guide our thoughts, O Lord, that we may be filled with the knowledge of your presence with us today. Guide our words, O Lord, that all who hear them may be drawn closer to you. And guide our actions, O Lord, that you are evident in all that we do and all that we say. And all that we leave undone, we pray that the meditation of our hearts, the words of our mouths will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord our God. Amen.
and girls. Miss Vicki is back with us today, and she's going to be right over here. If you want to come down and bring somebody with you because you hadn't done this before or need to help somebody else, that would be great. Again, remind you that later on we have a children's church when we have the offering for those that are second grade and below, and we'd be glad to have you be with us there too. Well, this is a whole different ball game. We're on the different. I'm not sure this side looks as good as this side. <laughs> so we're all switched. There they go. Well, how's everybody doing today? Good, good day, isn't it? Yeah. I have a question for you. The people are still coming. You're the closest. You're right. Well, I have a question. You ready? Does anybody have a Band-Aid on this morning? No? Well, you got a few mosquito bites. Well, I've got some poison ivy. We can talk about that later, can't we? Okay. Well, I have a Band-Aid on right there. You know what I did? I wasn't paying any attention, and I went around the corner, and I hit my elbow. And when I did, I kind of took the skin off, and guess what? It started, you're right, it started to bleed. So I had to go in there and wash it with water and put some healing ointment on it. And then I had to, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you have to be careful. So I had to put a Band-Aid on it to keep it from getting on my clothes. Band-Aids are wonderful things. And, you know, when I taught school, my kids had a theory about it. The more Band-Aids you put on your sores, the better they were. They got better a lot faster because they loved Band-Aids. And we have to have moms and doctors. Sometimes moms just can't take that Band-Aid and fix it. We have to go to the doctor and... Ooh, sometimes we have to have stitches. Sometimes we even break our bones. Oh, I haven't done, haven't done that yet. So we have to have somebody else take care of it. But, you know, after we get it all covered up, the skin and the bones, <coughs> guess, who takes, excuse me, guess who takes care of it for us? Who do you think? God, you are so smart. God starts that healing process and our bones and our body knows how to heal itself because that's the way God made us. But sometimes there are things that happen to us that band-aids just don't fix. Sometimes we get hurts that hurt our feelings when somebody says, well, I don't like what you have on or don't you know how to play this game? I don't want you on my team. Yeah, bruises sometimes. They bruise our bodies, but they're not so we can see them. They're on the inside, and they hurt our hearts. We get a little bit of a broken heart, and all of a sudden that big smile on our face just goes away, and we walk around, and we're upset, and we just were unhappy. Well, you know what? God can not only heal the physical parts, our bones and our skin, He can work with us on that hurt feelings, hurt heart. And you know how he does that? We ask, we go to him and we say, God, you know, Susie Q hurt my feelings today. What am I going to do? And if you'll sit real still and listen, he'll talk to you. And sometimes there are problems that God provides people for. Like we have Brother Tim. And we have your Sunday school teachers and you have your parents and your grandparents. 
He gives us people in our lives that help us solve our problems. So it's wonderful. But the main thing is we have to remember God is always there to help us. And I found a verse, and it was Psalms 147, verse 3. He heals the brokenhearted. He bandages their wounds. So we have to remember that. God can do it, can heal us if we ask for it. Okay? So let's bow our heads for just a moment. Dear God, thank you for this lovely first day of fall. Thank you for the church and all the people who do its works. And we want to remember by asking you, you can heal us. Amen. Now, to help you remember, I'm going to give you a band-aid. And it says, God heals. Take that home and keep it on your nightstand or in your Bible. And now remember, when you go home someday and you don't feel real good, you'll pull that Band-Aid out and you go, hmm, God heals. I need to ask him to help me out. And I know that sometimes a little hug and a kiss helps. Well, I'm not going to hug and kiss all of you, but I do have a couple of Hershey kisses that are hugs. So when you come up here to get your Band-Aid, I'll give you some, okay? Ms. Jinker, would you like to play a song for us, maybe, that you can think of that will go with this? You'll pick up a Band-Aid. talked about upward earlier. I know there's probably at least one of you here today and you said if they mention it one more time, then I will. I just know it's the call of the Lord. We do need a couple more coaches. Uh, so if you'd like to do that or if you already have a team and you could coach somebody in another age group, we had to expand by a couple of teams there at the last minute and that's created needing more coaches. So if you could help us in that, we, you know, we cover them in practice. But we don't need to do that. We had some people that coached every night last week, and I didn't, but there were others that did that. And they don't need to do that. So if you can help out in that situation, we have a book we can give you and guide you through that process so it's easy for you. And let me know. And today I've got a card in my pocket waiting for your name. And I have a pen for that, and we'd love to have you to help us in that. We're going ice skating this afternoon with our kiddos, uh, grades 1 through uh, 5. And if you have someone that's younger than that, and you can go with them, we'd be glad for you to go with us, too. We're going to have hot dogs and chips right after worship today and then have to be there from 1 until 3. And uh, parents who are picking your kids up, if you're not going with us, 
Don't uh, be here right at 3. Uh, be here after that. There is a wedding going on from 2.30, somewhere about there. So we're going to try to drive around the block several times. Uh, well, we're not here till at least 3.30 in some of those situations. So uh, any of you parents particularly who go with us, we'd love to have you. That's a good family thing to do is going ice skating. So see me if you can help us in that regard, and we'd love to have you with us in that. Today's favorite hymn is 545, uh, Love is the Theme. Our favorite hymn as we sing is picked by somebody who just put it in our box and said that's what they want us to do, and so that's what we're going to do. We'll sing first, second, and third verses. We'll let you remain seated as we do that. Almighty, we've been doing quite a couple of years so far. You should be a little bit familiar with that one. Then soften my heart. We've only done a couple of times before, but it's very easy to do, and we urge you to use it as we worship together. Let's stand.
us pray. Lord, you know who we are. You know the very inside of all our thoughts. We pray that today we can come to you open and honest, ready to see change. We pray you'd be with those who need you in a special way, those that are hurting, those that are grieving in different ways, that you can help them know about your power. We thank you for the offerings that we are able to give, and we pray they'll be used to spread your word around this kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Oh, Christians, heed your mission is the name of that song. And what a wonderful song it is and and one that um, is so pertinent to us today. Our scripture reading for today comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16, beginning with verse 19 and reading through 31. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames." But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus, in like manner, bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can come, come across from there to us. He said, then, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers that he may warn them so that they will not also come into this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. He said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. This is the word of God for you and me. Imagine that you are a race car driver in the Indianapolis 500. How would you deal with the inherent risks that are associated with this sport? How would you deal with the possibility of crashing or even dying on the track? Well, according to one driver, you don't deal with it. You just don't. If a fatal accident occurs, this driver says, you don't go and look at where it happened. You don't watch the films on TV. You don't deal with it. You just pretend that it never happened. In fact, the Indianapolis International Speedway itself encourages this approach. As soon as the track closes on the day of an accident, the crew heads out to paint over the spot where the car hit the wall. And all through the years, no driver has ever been pronounced dead on the track. A trip to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Racing Museum has no memorial to the 40 drivers who have lost their lives there. In fact, they are never even mentioned. It kind of reminds me of a line in that old Broadway musical called 
Jumbo, in which Jimmy Durante, who has just stolen a circus elephant, is tiptoeing across the stage with this huge pachyderm clomping along behind him, and he is stopped by the local sheriff who demands, where are you going with that elephant? And Durante, looking as innocent as only Durante could, says, what elephant? My friends, I want to, I want for us to talk for a few moments this morning about living in denial. There was a country song a few years ago called Cleopatra, Queen of Denial. And I believe it typifies the much too human tendency to deny reality, even when it's staring us straight in the face. The song goes like this. Well, I said he had plenty of potential. He was only misunderstood. You know, he didn't really mean to treat me so bad. He wanted to be good. And I swore one day I would tame him, even though he loved to run hog wild. Just call me Cleopatra, everybody, because I'm the queen of denial. Well, I'm, I'm not going to jump to conclusions or throw away this perfect romance even though I caught him dancing last night with a girl in leopard skin pants. Yeah, he's probably stuck in traffic, and he'll be here in a little while. Just call me Cleopatra, everybody, because I'm the queen of denial. My friends, living in denial seems to be a favorite pastime for a lot of folks these days. Some people would simply prefer not to face reality. Jane Wagner once said, I made some studies and discovered that reality is the leading cause of stress among those who are in touch with it. (laughs) And then she adds, I can take reality in small doses, but as a lifestyle, I find it much too confining. (laughs) Yes, my friends, reality can be very stressful. And if we could just turn a blind eye to it, life would be so much easier, wouldn't it? Our story for today is about a man who had learned to turn a blind eye to reality. There was a rich man who had all the luxuries of life, nice house, nice car, nice family, nice toys, anything that he could ever want was at his disposal. But right outside his door was a homeless man, smelled bad, had sores all over his body because he had no place to take a bath. He sat in his wheelchair and day after day asking passers-by for spare change, and most of them, the rich man included, simply ignored him, did not even acknowledge his presence or deliberately walked by on the other side of the street. Well, the homeless man dies and goes to heaven where he is enjoying the blessings of his inheritance. The rich man also dies but goes to hell where he is tormented. But even in this situation, the rich man seems to still have a sense of entitlement and and superiority. And so he asks Father Abraham to send that homeless guy over here to get me a drink. And Abraham said, no can do. Then send him to my family so that they won't end up here 
in torment like I am. And Abraham said, it wouldn't do any good. They have Moses and the prophet to warn them. And if they do not listen to Moses or the prophets, then they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. My friends, some people live in denial. Even if someone rises from the dead, they will not change their minds. And there are many ways in which we can live our lives denying reality. In fact, some of those ways are suggested in our story for today, the story that Jesus told in our scriptures. One of those ways is that we are living in denial if we believe that casual Christianity is a viable choice. Now, let me say that again, folks. We are living in denial if we believe that casual Christianity is a viable choice. Casual Christianity. Now, what is that? Well, casual Christianity is a comfortable place to be. It is eternal life with very few demands. It is forgiveness without true repentance. It is respectability with few responsibilities. And yes, it is a nice lifestyle. But the only problem is that it is an illusion. You may, be, you may remember the time-honored story of the frustrated skeptic who said, if I believed what you Christians believed, I would crawl through a field of broken glass to tell others about it. And if you think about it, which we try not to do, it is an accurate statement. But for most Christians today, our commitment is a poor imitation of the real thing. That's easy for us to rationalize our lack of commitment and make excuses. In fact, I believe that uh, making excuses seems to be written into our very DNA. And we've been doing it since the beginning of time, beginning with Adam and Eve themselves. Excuse making is something that comes natural. You may be familiar with the story of a group of soldiers who were on furlough and a commanding officer was furious when nine of these soldiers failed to show up for the morning roll call. First man didn't even show up until seven o'clock that evening. And he said, I'm sorry, sir, the soldier explained, but I had a date and I lost track of time and I missed the bus back to the base. However, being determined to get in on time, I hired a cab. But halfway here, the cab broke down, and so I went to a farmhouse, and, and I convinced a farmer to, to sell me his horse. And I was riding to camp on the horse, and the horse fell over dead, and so I walked the last ten miles, and I got here just now. Well, though skeptical, the colonel let the young man off with just a reprimand. And However, after him, seven other stragglers came in, with the exact same story. <laughs> Had a date, missed the bus, hired a cab, bought a horse, horse died, etc. 
And by the time the ninth man reported back in, the colonel had grown weary of this story. And, and so with a great deal of impatience, he, he asked, what happened to you? And the soldier said, well, sir, I had this date and I missed the bus back to the base. So I hired a cab and, and the colonel screeched, wait a minute, don't tell me that the cab broke down. And the soldier replied, no, sir. The cab didn't break down. It's just that there were so many dead horses in the road, we had a hard time getting through. As they say, one excuse is about as good as another for letting our commitment to Christ assume a low priority in our lives. Casual Christianity. Is that where you are today? Denial. It's a wonderful thing, isn't it? But unfortunately, unfortunately, it's an illusion. Here's another example of denial. We are living in denial if we believe that we can be Lone Ranger Christians. That is that we can ignore our neighbors and be blind to the needs of strangers and still say that we follow Christ. I would say that the rich man in Jesus' story was an expert at this. Lazarus lay right outside of his door, and the chances are the rich man never even saw him. We may have seen him at first, but soon it was he was able to shut this desperate man out of his field of vision. And the beggar became, as Al Gore would say, an inconvenient truth. You know, it's amazing how easy it is to do that, isn't it? And we may not have beggars lying outside of our house, but that doesn't mean that we don't have neighbors who have needs. In fact, I imagine that if we were to survey our community, we would find people with heartbreaking needs in their lives. People grieving over a dying mother. Parents struggling with a son or daughter's addiction to drugs. Middle-aged men and women with a ton of guilt that they're trying to deal with. And, and sometimes all they need is a word of encouragement or an invitation to worship or a chance to express their grief. But we don't even know them. And instead, we, we blissfully live in our own little world and, and we pretend that Jesus didn't say anything about being a good neighbor. But the fact is that he did say something about being a good neighbor. And because he said something about being a good neighbor, I think maybe we need to take stock of our lives. I read a story recently about a, a good neighbor. A pastor's wife had a friend who once lived in the remote town of Victory, Vermont. Tiny little town. No school, no church, no store there. Famous for being the last town in Vermont to, to get electricity. During the course of earning her master's degree, his friend found it necessary to, to travel to uh, the State University in Burlington several times a week, 
It's a good hundred mile commute. And, and coming home late at night, she would often see an old man sitting on the side of the road. He was always there. In sub-zero temperatures, in stormy weather, no matter how late she came in, he was always there. He just sat there. And she often wondered what brought him to that same spot every evening. What, what stubborn habit, what private grief or what mental disorder brought him there night after night. And, and so finally she asked a neighbor, have you ever seen that old man who sits by the road late every night? And the neighbor said, oh, yeah, I've, I've seen him many times. And she asked, is he a little touched in the head? Or something. And her neighbor laughed and said, no, he is no more touched in the head than you or me. In fact, he goes home every night right after you do. Because you see, he doesn't like the idea of you driving by yourself out late all alone in these back roads. And so every night he walks out here to wait for you. And when he sees your taillights disappear around the corner... He knows you're okay. And then he goes home and goes to bed. Now, that's a good neighbor, isn't it? Wouldn't it be wonderful to have a neighbor like that? And here's the more important question. Wouldn't it be wonderful to be a neighbor like that? But unfortunately, many people continue to live in denial because it's so much easier. One final example. We are living in denial if we believe that we have no responsibility for the least and the lowest in our world. And unfortunately, that is a sad commentary that many of our especially wealthy and middle-class churches, have fallen into today. It is sad that many Christians have become so hard-hearted when it comes to the people at the bottom of our socioeconomic strata. And I know that it takes a lot of hard work to be compassionate because some folks have the problems that they have because they've been irresponsible with their lives and Some folks won't even try to help themselves, and many people have gotten to the point where they can't help themselves. They are powerless, and and so what do we do? Well, for many folks, we simply ignore them, try to shut them out. Like the rich man who ignored Lazarus at his gate, many Christians today have built up this System of rationalization that makes the poor responsible for their own redemption. And nothing could be further from the teachings of Jesus than that. I don't know. Maybe we can make it work. Maybe we can continue to be casual in our commitment to Jesus Christ. Maybe we can continue to live in our own little world and ignore our neighbors. And and maybe Jesus didn't really mean it when he said, when you did it not to the least of these, you did it not to me. But I doubt it.
And that means that you and I have a choice to make, doesn't it? And the choice is very simple. Denial or discipleship. Stuart Jackson wrote a novel in which he titled The Davidson Affair. The story goes like this. Television news anchor Cass Tennell is sent by his network to cover an intriguing story. It seems that a man named Jesus Davidson has reportedly been raised from the dead in one of the outlying colonies of the Roman Empire. And so Tennell goes to this location and interviews Pilate and Herod, who say that there is no truth to the rumor that the grave has actually been robbed. And then he interviews Thomas before he has seen the Lord and finds him dejected and unimpressed by the reports. And then came the electrifying interviews with Mary Magdalene and Zacchaeus and Cleopas. And and, and try as he might, this hard-bitten reporter cannot help, cannot keep himself from being persuaded by the testimony of these people. Indeed, he finds himself believing that Jesus has been raised from the dead. And so he begins to piece together his his uh, his television program and he puts together puts it together, intending to persuade others and thinking that when people hear his witness, they will begin to believe it, too. But he's sadly mistaken. The TV executives are as cynical as ever. Delighted with his ratings, but uninterested in his subject. And the book ends with this conversation between Tunnell and his associate. The associate said, even if Davidson had, has come back to life, these people don't have a chance. And Tunnell responds, I think they do. And the associate argues, no, Cash, you, you know they don't. You can't change the world, not with a... Not with a handful of wise sayings and a seasoning of compassion and a miracle or two. And so Cass asks, even if one of the miracles is that a dead man is coming back to life? And the associate said, no, not even then. And so Tunnell hopelessly says, but, but the world that he promised them, the freedom. And the associate smiled and said, it's no use, Cass. We like it in prison. We don't want to be rescued. Do you think that maybe that's true? For many people today, they would rather live their life in denial. It's much easier to believe that casual Christianity is possible and that we can be a Lone Ranger Christian and that we have no responsibility for the least and the lowest in our community or in our world. But Father Abraham says, sadly, to the rich man who pleads on behalf of his family, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. So here's the question for today. How about you? Are you convinced? And if you are convinced, does it make any difference in how you live your life? Or are you trying to live the casual Christian life and go it on your own with no responsibility towards others? Jesus said we can't do that. For you see, we are 
our brother and sister's keepers. And we are called to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And we are called to be merciful as our God in heaven is merciful. And this is about as far from casual Christianity as one can get. This is a Christianity that is engaged in the lives of others. And that, my friends is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Amen. We're going to sing a hymn of response, number 613, the servant song. And that's basically what I've been talking about today, being being a servant to God, being a servant by serving the world especially those in need. There may be someone here today who is recognizing that you've been living your life in denial. Maybe casual Christianity is something that you've been uh, been a part of your life and, and you're recognizing that, you know, that's not enough. I need to make a stronger commitment to Christ. I need to make a stronger commitment to the people that Christ has called me to serve. Maybe you've never made any commitment to Christ. Today's the day, to, the day to do that. If you've never made that commitment to Christ, or maybe you want to make a stronger commitment, or maybe you want to be a part of serving Christ through this church, we invite you to do that. We invite you to come to make your commitment public, to tell everyone, this is what I am doing. I am serving the Lord, and I am committing myself to do that. Would you come as we sing 613, the servant song? guiding our thoughts and inspiring our words and reviving our spirits. May we go in the knowledge that God will love 
the chance to accompany each of us, each of our thoughts and our words and our actions as this week unfolds. May the words of our mouths, meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, as we leave this place in service to you. In Christ we pray. Amen.